Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Long-term business success depends on many things. One of them is innovation. To stay in the race, organizations must have the willingness to adapt and search for new solutions to challenging problems. Nobody knows this better than the manufacturing business we are highlighting today. Roush Yates Engines, a familiar name in the auto racing industry, is successfully operating Roush Yates Manufacturing Solutions, a unit that provides world-class CNC machining of complex parts for critical applications into the aerospace, defense, automotive, and other high-tech industries. The company was founded in 2003 in a partnership with Ford Motor Company and is located today in Mooresville, North Carolina. It also delivers expertise in multi-axis and water jet processing of metal and plastic parts with complex geometries. Today, we're clocking in with the voice of North Carolina manufacturing who can speak personally and professionally about adapting to change. I'm speaking with Bob Usman, the Roush Yates Manufacturing Solutions Director of Business Development with over 20 years of manufacturing experience. He previously served as Technical Sales Specialist, Application Specialist, and Division Manager for several different manufacturing organizations. Bob graduated from Valparaiso University with a BA in Recreation Land Use Planning. Bob, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. Thank you for uh, for interviewing me. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. So, Bob, from our relationship with you and the business as it has developed, it is clear that the work you've done at Roush Yates is quite amazing. But let's start a little with your professional career. Uh, I know you like to ski in the mountains of Colorado, but did your beginnings in recreation land use planning have anything to do with that? Well, yes, Phil. I, you know, you go to college for one thing, and in your career, you usually end up someplace else. And my my ultimate, when I was in college, I wanted to design ski areas. I wanted to design recreational facilities because I love the outdoors. And and life took me in a different direction, you know. And so, uh, over the course of time, I, I I started to gravitate towards manufacturing, and that carried me forward to where I am today. So was there some sort of single discovery that got you into manufacturing business? What was the thing that did it? Well, it's all about networking. And we, I was actually in the ski business for quite a while. And we went through a difficult period of time back then. I had to pivot out of that industry. Had a friend who had a manufacturing facility and asked if I'd like to help out in business development. And I did. And it turned out that I had... I guess I had an ability to be able to work in manufacturing and understand it. And my career carried forward to that today. So talk a bit about your roles and responsibilities with Roush Yates now. Well, when I hired into Roush Yates back in 2015, 
the uh, Doug Yates and the owners of Roush came to me and said that they would they had a vision of taking the manufacturing facility that they had developed for the racing industry and moving it outside of supporting racing into other industries. And I had, I had a lot of experience in aerospace and defense, and they asked me to come in and make that transition. You know, what would it take to become an aerospace and defense contractor? And so we put a plan together, a three-year plan and a five-year plan. And we started to take our manufacturing facility at that time, which was about 30,000 square feet and about uh, uh, 20 machines and develop the pedigree we needed to get into the aerospace and defense industry. So first five years of my career with Roush Yates was working operationally, developing our certifications and all the requirements needed to work in the aerospace and defense industry. And then about a year and a half ago, Doug came to me and said, Bob, you put all this together, now you need to go out and sell it. And so I pivoted from operations to business development and that's what I'm doing now is I'm uh, working in business development, finding new opportunities, new clients, new projects for us to do our CNC manufacturing. Yeah, so uh, obviously uh, you've started to be a bit successful with that from what you've discussed with me. But, you know, you uh, have a little experience working successfully with the remote office even before the pandemic, right? But I suppose things are still a quite bit different. They are, you know, it was, uh, I decided, we decided that because of aerospace and defense, that it is so focused in the western part of the United States, that uh, I would transition and work remotely in Colorado. So I live in Colorado now in Colorado Springs. And there are certain pockets and hotspots of aerospace and defense around the country. One of them is Denver. And so when I transitioned in February to, to, to come to Colorado, the plan was for me to come back once a month and still be very active and and involved in what was going on at the plant. But then of course, COVID hit and that really shut me down. And uh, I became a almost hundred percent remote working person. And that's the way it's been now since March. Uh, I have been back to the facility once or twice, uh, but I'm doing most of my work remotely now. Yeah, you know, I guess all uh, businesses have had to adapt in various different ways to the pandemic. But uh, talk a bit about, you know, how you interact with your customers differently now that you just can't go and, you know, hop on a plane and visit. Yeah, you know, the, the old model would be for me to be traveling quite a bit and getting in front of customers and Uh, and seeing their facilities and working to try to understand what their requirements are for their supply chain, seeing if we could fit those requirements. And that's all gone away. In most companies now, you cannot go and see them, cannot visit, unless it's just a critical situation where you have to go in. So I work, you know, spend a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time in Zoom meetings like this. We we use uh, Microsoft Teams quite a bit for me to interact not only with the company, with other, but with other facilities. And it's all done for the most part virtually now. You know, a lot of virtual presentations and things like that. What do you see on the other side of this? I know that uh, companies are think, rethinking kind of how they, they do business. I mean, do you, do you feel like your clients are gonna be comfortable with this type of interaction long-term or do you feel like you would get back to your old way? Well, I hope it goes back to the old way for a number of reasons, but I, I just don't know. You know, who knows what's going to happen in a year from now or two years from now. I, 
I, I don't think COVID is going to go away. I don't think, you know, the flu like COVID is, has been around us and other communicable diseases have been around. It's all about risk management and mitigating risk. And I'm hoping that we, you know, things like a cure and a vaccine are going to occur so that the risk becomes lower. But I think I'm going to be spending, and, and all of us that work in business development are going to be spending a lot more time working from home and not as much travel. It's very difficult right now to do business if you, if you can't get in front of people and talk to people. And, and you know, Phil, you know, it's a lot of it's about relationships, creating a relationship with people where they trust you and they understand you and they trust the company that you work for. And it's very difficult to do that when you're kind of doing it over a computer screen. Yeah. And I guess one of the toughest things is just, I guess, as your job is developing new clients and new business and getting to know those, those people for the first time and getting that first product in there. Right. 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 It's all right. And right now, a lot of it's networking. Uh, I'm, I participate in a group of aerospace and defense CNC contractors who meet every two weeks on a, on a Zoom meeting. And it's a, it's a roundtable forum. And we, we talk about the issues that we, we face and the problems and customers. And we help each other to support new projects. You know, maybe somebody has a project they can't do, but they might be able to hand it off to somebody else. And so, you know, where you can, you try to collaborate with people as much as you can. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, can you talk about some of the new things you may have gotten into since the pandemic started? Well, yeah, and we, you know, I people ask me how you how we're doing, and I say, well, it's all about the pivot. You know, politicians are really good at pivoting on questions. Well, you got to be really good at pivoting on your scope of work and your core competency. Obviously, we're a CNC manufacturer. We've really focused very heavily on aerospace and defense, but that same skill set can be used in other industries. And there are industries in this economy that are doing well, surprisingly. I believe they call it a rolling recovery, where certain industries are doing very well, other industries aren't. And we're trying to identify those, the high spots of that rolling recovery. So industries like uh, we're, we, we've gotten into making components for prosthetics for air filtration systems, for ventilators, parts for ventilators, and other places where we probably would never have looked. We're taking that skill set that we have and applying it to making component parts for those industries. Wow. So do you still help out the racing people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. And racing is, is in our blood. You know, once you get it in your blood, you can't get it out. It's a bad addiction. Uh, and the racing, the, internally, we still support Roush Yates racing engines, although the, the growth for us has been so strong in aerospace and defense that it has now, at one point, it was a major part of our work. Now it has become a lesser part of our work, and we are much more focused on outside work and the growth and, that's happened in outside work. So back in, in 2015, when I started, less than 5% of the work we did was outside work. And today, about 65 to 70% of the work that we do is outside work. So, so we've really pivoted off of supporting our internal customer into supporting other industries. 
how do you see uh, some of the you're, you're in the aerospace and defense business? I know aerospace is really struggling now. Uh, have you guys taken a hit from kind of what's going on in that area, and and what do you see down the road for that? Well, uh, you know, there's there are basically uh, three categories of aerospace that uh, that can be broken out. One is commercial, uh, one is defense, and then one is space, the final frontier. And so, if when we came into the industry, we, for some reason, we gravitated towards defense and space, and we didn't go towards commercial. Turns out that that was a good decision because that, the, of the three categories, that's the one that's struggling the worst. The, the issues that Boeing has had with the 737 airplane, it has caused a lot of disruption in the commercial aerospace industry. And then, of course, covid hits and nobody wants to fly. Yeah. And so that disrupted the commercial aerospace industry. So they, they've really, that, that side of the aerospace industry has really gotten hit very hard. And it's going to be a, at least a couple of years, maybe longer before it can recover back to near what it was before, which was a major industry, big industry in, in terms of the economy. Defense is very strong right now. And partly because of the current administration and the, and the support of the defense industry. Uh, and there, there just was a natural need to, to upgrade the def- generally all of our defenses over the years. Um, and so that's done very well, and we're very much involved in that. And then the third category is space. And, and you know, we are, on, we are at the cusp of a major jump in activity in space. SpaceX has gotten a lot of press recently. United Launch Alliance, Sierra Nevada, uh, Blue Origin, all of those companies are, are right, we're right at the cusp of that becoming a major industry. It, I don't think it'll ever be maybe as big as the commercial industry is, but, but as you see more launches and more interest and activity in going to the moon and going to Mars and going into space, that industry is starting to steamroll up and and so there's a lot of excitement around that industry. Yeah, space is real high precision. I mean, it's just a you know, it's it's even more than other regular aircraft, right? I mean, everything's got to be so precise. Oh yeah, well yeah, it's yeah. There's no room for error there, none at all. And uh, and the companies that we're working with right now are are extremely stringent on quality requirements and uh, documentation of paperwork, uh, all of the things that. So, so when they come to a company like us, they look for a certain pedigree. They want to make sure that we are, we have an AS9100 certification, that we're ITAR compliant, that we have our cybersecurity systems in place, you know, the NIST 800-171 cybersecurity, and then all of the other pedigrees that you have to have to prove that you can work in that, in that arena. If you don't have that pedigree, they don't even want to talk to you. They're not interested because they have such stringent requirements. Yeah, I know we got involved with Roush Shakes because you guys have been very aggressive, you know, establishing your pedigree, and we're, you know, we're pleased to be a part of that. Uh, but what in, going inside of your plant, you know, what are the other things that you know that makes Ralph Yates, you know, you know, makes them great? It makes you know, what are some of the competencies you have in there that you really are proud of? Well, yeah, and, and I, spend a, I spend a lot of time looking at my competitors. Not only do I look for customers, but I try to figure out, you know, what makes a great company. We have a slogan at Roush Yates. It's 
called World Class LTA. And we want to become a world-class organization. And by world-class, I mean we want to be able to meet all of the expectations and or exceed the expectations of our customers and uh, not only physically show ourselves as world-class, but be able to perform at a world-class level. Uh, and then LTA for us, is a, it's, a, it's a term that we use in the industry for long-term agreement. And, and what we're saying there is that we want to create long-term relationships with our customers. We don't want to be a one and done. We want to be able to work with people and grow our business and become a partner with, with our, our customers. And especially in aerospace and defense, it's such a technical industry that you have to be able to communicate confidently with the people you're doing business with. So for us, it's about creating those relationships and working directly with engineers to try to create designs of parts that are manufacturable. Uh, we have a design group in our in-house that helps us. Uh, and then along with that, we're, we're very much in tune with cleanliness and organization and having everything documented. And so when you take that and then you take that racing blood that we have about winning and you combine all those things with a winning attitude as a team, uh, that, that really is what separates us is just this idea that we, we are, it's all about winning. There's first place and there's nothing else. So, and so that's what we always strive for is that perfection. Yeah, that sounds great. So looking ahead, I mean, this, uh, I know you're in Mooresville now, but you're growing, continuing to grow. You think there'd ever be a, a plant out there near your skiing resort in Colorado? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that would be the perfect situation. <laughs> Have a CNC facility right next door to the base lodge at a basin or something. Uh, no, I don't, I don't foresee that, but who knows? You never know what can happen. Doug Yates, the owner of the company, is very innovative and he's very strategic, forward thinking. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see how this company grows and expands and what, where we do it and how we do it. Yeah, well, just um, finally, one of the things we're involved in is kind of dealing with companies who have been struggling with supply chain disruptions, especially globally. But I, I suppose that you guys are pretty vertical and you don't have a lot of exposure to global supply chains. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I would say we, we don't do much globally in terms of our, our supply chain, and that would be post-machine processing, raw materials, and maybe machine tools and, 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 and some of the perishable products that we have to use. So globally for our supply chain, it's not affected much. And the other thing is with us is everything that we do is either ITAR controlled or NADCAP controlled. And so the DOD is requiring us to really do business with either companies that are friendly to the United States or in a lot of cases now, U.S. companies, period, that are, you know, physically in the United States. So that's, uh, but what's interesting is the global disruption of the global supply chain has benefited us. And in that work that we may have been doing that went overseas is now coming back. And so there's this reshoring, we've heard the term reshoring of work back to the United States. And before it was because, maybe because of language barriers or logistics, but that's just been exacerbated by COVID. And a lot of companies are saying, I can't afford to do business overseas now because 
I'm concerned about whether that plant over there is going to be open or closed because of COVID. The logistical problems have been exacerbated. And the, you know, the language isn't so much an issue anymore because, you know, English has become kind of an international language. But, but it, it, it really has helped us because it's brought work back. One of the projects we're doing right now was done in Europe and the company pulled it out of Europe and it's bringing it back here because of the issues of the, of the, the distance and the logistics and the, all the complications of, of doing business overseas. Yeah, well, that's great. We sure surely want the virus to go away, but we sure like what's you know some of those type of results that that's happening in terms of you know bringing more work back to the states, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a strange economy, and you know you it's, it's such an unfortunate situation, but it's here, and we got to deal with it. And so, as a business, you have to be able to say, well, what can I? How can I move? In which direction can I move to keep my business afloat, keep these people employed? And that's kind of our attitude is we're, we're, we want to, we'll get through this and it's a stopgap to get us through it. Uh, but you never know, uh, you know, in three years, we may be a prosthetics company because of wow. just this activity or we may be in the air ventilation. We, I don't know. You know, it's really strange. So. Yeah, well, great. Well, Bob, we know you're very busy and I can appreciate you taking a few minutes to speak with us uh, about what, what's going on at Roush Yates and in your life. So, you know, I know that you're you're looking outside, probably want to get down that ski run before. before. <laughs> but it's, it's just a touch early yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how's the weather there? Is it conducive to skiing right now? Or Well, uh, A Basin, which is one of my favorite ski areas, announced that they plan on having a run open or a couple of runs open this month. So they've got three weeks to live up to that. The weather is getting cold up in the mountains. Here in Colorado Springs, it's it's still fall weather, nice fall weather. But when you get up at eight, nine thousand, twelve thousand feet, the whole complexion of the weather changes. Yeah. Well, be careful out there. We know you're a veteran, but... Gee whiz, man! Skiing still seems kind of dangerous to me. Uh, it's it's all about uh, management of risk, risk yeah. mitigation. <laughs> all right. Well, Bob, thanks again for for joining us in this episode, and we really appreciate you know the work you're doing in North Carolina, and of course, I really personally appreciate how you're supporting the NCMEP program. Uh, you joined us on some visits to speak with our congressional de- leaders, and uh, I mean you're a great supporter, and we and we. And we want you to have continued success. Yeah, your group is the best. I, I am so grateful that we had the opportunity to partner up with you. I look forward to that going into the future. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.